Welcome to another episode of the Be Well Cartel podcast. Join us as we break down the truth behind all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and more to help you form your own holistic definition of what is truly healthy for your body with a healthy dose of sarcasm, dad jokes, and real life experiences. If you're already a Be Well Cartel fan, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share your favorite episodes with your community. Thanks so much for being here, and we really hope you enjoy our newest episode of the Be Well Cartel. Sadly, I'm recording from my apartment in Barcelona and not Boo. from the office in in England with Holly, but I'll get over it. Yeah, you know what? Dillian. Sitting on this comfy chair is just not worth it. I want to be back on the hard wooden stool <laughs> that I was on last week. <laughs> Julian, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking you have got to be someone who amidst this pandemic has traveled so much. Like since we've been doing these podcast recordings, I literally have not moved. Like I have been here and you have been to um, New York. You've been to England. You've been to, um, you went to California twice. Yeah. I think. You've been I went to, to so. Like- I went to California once. I went to New York once. I've been to, where have I been? I've been to a couple Spanish islands um, and I've been to England. And you're totally right. And you know, what's interesting is that part of that, like I feel partly guilty for that because I know that there are, I know that there are a lot of people that either that haven't been able to travel or haven't been able to see their families. And honestly, for me, like my California trip last winter was because my dad was by himself in California. Um, I hadn't seen my dad or my brother in like over a year. Um, and it's, you know, it, it was, it's really, I mean, I know, and and I know that uh, Olivia, you get it. It's really hard to be away from your family. Like I know that for a lot of lockdown, you were with your family, but you haven't been now for a while. And, and so, you know, there is some kind of like guilt around that. Um, I, my trip to England, I mean, I honestly could I feel so lucky that I got to spend time with Holly and I also got to spend time with my grandma, which you guys, she's 95 and holy shit balls. She is like spry and mentally 100% there. And I mean, she's a full head shorter than me, like a full head. And, and for reference, you're quite I, small. <laughs> yeah. For reference, I am five foot one or 155 centimeters. So my grandmother is easily four foot six or, you know, wow. 135 centimeters easily. Has she always been that small or is it like an age shrinking situation? So I have a theory that is not politically correct at all. And that theory is that uh, Jewish grandmothers and Italian women just shrink until they no longer exist. They don't ever die. (laughs) I was so impressed when you said she could still walk around for like an hour. So I caught her. I, I caught her on the second day I was there standing on top of the toilet, opening a window. And I was, and I, I was like, grandma, what are you doing? And she apparently every day gets up on a step stool, steps on top of the toilet, and then opens this window that is super high up, which is terrifying for me because her bones are probably like a, a bird at this point. Um, but Honestly, I mean, we went for about an hour long walk. She held my hand the whole time because she's a bit unsteady, like as far as balance is concerned, but holding my hand, she was walking at a really good pace. 
her body is full mobility. And I, I don't want to like dominate this conversation with, you know, talking about how amazing my grandmother is, but I think that this is really important in the longevity conversation because she is a woman who's 95 years old, has been active her entire life, has never been, you know, gone to the gym, has never done a diet has never been one to say, I need to lose weight or I need to gain weight or whatever it is, has just eaten mostly home-cooked food. I mean, you can't say that the British diet is exceptional, but she's eaten mostly home-cooked food. They've always eaten some kind of fruits and vegetables, um, but she's been active her entire life. And so for her, activity is, is a non-negotiable. And she told me, and I'll, I'll kind of end this here, she told me, that, so we were talking about exercise and I was like, you know, do you, we were talking about the NHS, Holly, cause you told me about that thing that your dad does with, mm. um, with the, and, and I, I asked her if she knew about the NHS exercise program. She says, oh, they're rubbish. They're not going to teach me anything. So I dug a little bit deeper and she does a 10, like a 10 to 15 minute stretching and, and exercise routine every evening. And I asked her, I was like, well, how long have you been doing that for? She goes, I don't know, most of my life. And I asked her, well, you know, is there ever a time that you don't feel like it? She goes, oh, all, all the time. I'm, I'm a lot of the time I'm too tired and I really don't want to do it. And I was like, well, then what do you do? She goes, well, I do it anyways. Yeah. And I, and it was one of those like, like boom moments where I thought everyone needs to know this because yeah. this is the true definition of one, a habit is where, you know, she, she kind of feels weird if she never does it. She also knows that she's like, I go on vacation and sometimes I won't do it, but I know that I'll always come back to it. Yeah. And seeing her now, there's no way that you wouldn't say that that has played a part in how incredibly mobile and agile she is. Yeah, like that's that's so cool. It makes me actually, it makes me think of my mom because my mom does, and when I was younger, I used to be like, oh, you're such a weirdo mom. But every morning, like without fail, she, and she's had two hip replacements, her pelvis shattered, like she's had a pretty rough go of it. And every morning she does like tapping. Have you guys heard of tapping? Like she taps. Oh, is it EFT? EFT? Yeah, she taps her organs and she tap and she says, "Thank you, heart, for um, you know pumping blood oh around my, God, my body. So like, thank cute. you, liver. <laughs> like really." And um, and she does. She goes through a whole routine like every morning. She does a bit on like the rebounder. She always does push ups. She does planks. She just <laughs> and she does it like without fail. And every night she does a routine as well, where she lays on her, um, what are they called? The sh um, shaky mat, shaky, you know, with the- Like the, the, the spiky mat. The pins, yeah. She lays on that. She puts her legs up the wall in like a supine position. She's just got these routines and they're so habitual. And if she does go away, she always come back to it, just like your grandmother. And she, she's just so active and she does that. And it's just part of- who she is and what she does. Um, and she knows that she just has to do that if she wants to live like a long life and be mobile and feel well. And it's just, it's quite admirable. It's nuts because I see, for example, my great aunt who passed away, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years ago at this point. And she also lived a very long life, but you can see, you could see the difference in, in her mobility and her, her body because she had never exercised. And, and when we talk about exercise, I'm not talking about going in the gym and like running on the treadmill, but she had just never, you know, anything active, whether, you know, my other grandmother does jazzercise, my grandmother in, in the UK did dance for a very long time and always did like very active walks. And, and my great aunt in the States had never done more than just walk, you know, basically walk to go shopping. 
And you could see as she got older, it was so difficult for her to move her body. And she, in her late seventies was prescribed exercise using things like TRX, stability balls, you know, just like simple exercises. And it was so hard for her because she didn't have a, the muscle memory or B the mobility and, and the muscle and the muscle. And this is the thing for women is that falls prevention is one Mm -hmm. of the biggest things that we have to think about for women as they age because that is actually cardiovascular disease is what like the silent killer for women which is crazy that only men kind of you know I mean for women people sort of talk about breast cancer as being like the biggest thing but it's actually um cardiovascular heart disease anyway um but falls as well for women is one of the biggest things that actually um like contributes to um you know, death in women. And so we have to be thinking about that in like older population. And that's why doing things like learning how to get up off the ground and like, honestly, that's why we do so many Turkish get ups <laughs> with my programming. Um, because being able to actually have pulling strength and pushing strength with your upper body is so crucial for things like that as you age. And it might sound kind of weird, but we have to be thinking about these things. But this is and this is the problem is that, you know, young girls who are like in their 20s are dieting and, and they just know, work out to burn calories. It's like that's that's literally calories, what they want to do. But that's all contributing to like poor bone health and stuff like that. And it's like women don't realize that what they're doing in their 20s affects their 30s, affects their 40s, affects their 50s and so on. And so it's like we have to start thinking about these things earlier. It sounds grim, but we do. But isn't it is it's so strange that we're so bad at thinking about our future selves. It seems to be an evolutionary flaw to me because if you Mm. think about all these other systems we have in the brain, we obviously have systems in the brain we ha- we have future predicting systems right and we have that that's what anxiety is all about yeah but we, and we yeah. have the dopamine reward system but we, but we also have the dopamine control system that lets us look forward to the consequence of an event but it's so limited like the amount we're able to look forward is like not very far and it it seems like somewhere in our like hundreds of thousands of years of evolution that we should have evolved something to to help that be more important to us so that we can take care of our future selves better. We, we suck at it. So I, I completely agree with you. And at the same time, when we think about it, it makes sense because we have evolved to essentially try to avoid death, right? And so if we had never knew when death was going to come, obviously we don't have predators now unless you count like, I don't know, getting hit There's by a bus in Spain because they never <laughs> stop at red lights. Um, which is a true thing. If you come to Spain, you may get hit by a bus. Uh, and, and maybe I'm getting this wrong, but I, I think, you know, we've evolved to essentially think like, oh, we could die at any moment. And this is why we have like the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system that, you know, to, to activate us for this potential of, uh, of death or of danger. And then, you know, relax when we feel like we're no longer in a vulnerable or, or, or unsafe situation. But I think that because for for a really long period of our lifetimes, and if you're listening and you know anything about like evolutionary psychology, can you write us and help us understand this? Because this would be so helpful. Um, is that now maybe we just haven't had the sufficient amount of time to be able to accurately plan for the long-term future? Because how many people do you know that set sort of long-term goals, but those don't play out, even though they have a certain expectation in the long term? 
I'll also be I'll be interested to see over time how this goes right if they were to do a really huge study of like people who are really good at setting long-term goals and working towards those versus people who really struggle with that and like comparing lifespans or something like that or comparing health over time I would find that really interesting uh and I'm sure part of it is just that previously our lifespans were designed to be significantly shorter and therefore there wasn't like it it wasn't a necessity yeah to be able to live fast that far in advance uh but there's also something to be said for the fact that evolutionarily those of us who were able to do future planning were the ones that survived longer um and and were able to produce more offspring and able to like develop and the, the species but yeah you're right I, I feel like maybe it's just an insufficient amount of time but it's yeah an interesting thing to think about but, but also we as humans we do things we're either moving away we, I mean we're always moving away from pain right so like what you said Jillian about you know we're we're trying to avoid death but us in the us in the present we're always trying to move away from pain and so that is just what we know like in this moment how I feel about my body is that I need to diet I need to exercise really really hard because the pain that I feel about my existence now and so it's really hard to think about the future when we can't we don't know what that is or what that's going to look like but it's like if I do this now then this is going to help me so but I then I also think that it's confusing when it's like people are like okay think about future you and it's like come back to the moment be in the present it's like wait but we need that ability right like we need the ability to be able to go between time frames and that's probably where the struggle is because yeah when you mentioned that we're trying to move away from pain often the things that are going to help us in the long term require us moving towards pain and discomfort in the short term right and like maybe that's a, a huge part of where the struggle is and that's why we need that ability to be able to go between past like past to learn from the past present to actually reconnect with ourselves and like future for planning and it's it's necessary that we can go between them because often also if we think about even for anxiety even though we're getting stuck in the future it's not it's not a future that's influenced by like like actual logical planning it's a completely emotionally driven future Mm -hmm. vision that we get stuck in flexibility Um, is sustainability It would be interesting to follow up. You guys remember that study that they did with the, this was years ago, they did with kids where they said either you can have a marshmallow now, or you can, or if you wait, you can have a, you can have two marshmallows in like 10 minutes or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so it'd be interesting to follow up with those kids and understand kind of where they are in life. I actually think, and I, this is ringing a bell now that I'm saying it out loud. So the book mindset by Carol Dweck, have you guys read that book? Yes. And so I, I feel like in that book, she mentioned something about their future successes, but I honestly, at this point, it's, it's all speculation because it's been a few months since I've, no, it's probably been about a year since I've read it. So I can't remember, but if you're listening to this book and you want to under or listening to this book, we're on a podcast guys. We're not on a book. <laughs> we should, Hey, maybe we should write a book. Um, <laughs> if you are listening to this podcast, mindset is an incredible book to read. I think also to just to understand how you face challenge, which is essentially what we're talking about is understanding, Hey, what, you know, what you said, Olivia is we were trying to move away from pain. So we feel a challenge. How do we address that challenge? Right. How do we understand 
you know, this is what present me wants, but how does, does balancing out the need for, you know, future me to feel it or, or act or be or live a certain way and, and the, the need for the feeling that I need to move away from pain now, how do we balance those out to create a, a, a longer term vision for how I want to live as a person? And so this is actually this is a great transition right, into what, yeah. And so what we're going to talk about today, we have a Q and a episode today, guys, this is a fun one. We haven't done a Q and a for a while, so maybe we'll just do a couple in a row. Who knows? Uh, and a question that comes up. So this came up with, I mean, this comes up all the time and I'm not going to let you make you wait any longer to know what it is. It is, do I really need a rest day? And this is something I know that all three of us talk about a lot with our clients, even clients that have been with us for a long time, sometimes need to revisit this idea of why rest days are necessary. And there, there are both physical reasons and psychological reasons why they're necessary. And there are also a lot of psychological barriers to actively pursuing rest days. And some of them have to do with perhaps culture and a certain type of exercise. I know there, you know, in the fitness industry, there's a lot of this, like, you know, no rest days, go harder type mentality, but also there's belief systems within ourselves that hold us back. So do we want to open up talking about uh, a little bit of what actually is the, the physiology, the biology behind exercise and rest days, just really briefly, Holly, or I mean, either of you can speak to that beautifully. Well, um, to put it really simply is that we recover and we get an adaptation when we rest. And I think that most people are thinking that the work happens or the changes happen when you're actually doing exercise, when you're in the gym and the more that you do, the, the more change that you're going to create. We've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast before, but Adaptation is something that can't be forced. It is, and everybody is going to um, adapt faster, slower, differently than other people. The things that come into adaptation, when I'm saying adaptation, I mean progress, right? So if we're thinking about exercise, that would mean getting stronger, building more muscle, getting fitter, um, getting more aerobic, you know, whatever that kind of means to you and the goal that you're actually pursuing. But there are many different things that contribute to that as well. So if one has a very busy life, they have children, they're working full time, um, life load is really big, then they actually need more rest because they don't have as much space in their life to actually do a lot of exercise and actually recover from that. If someone has a very chill life and they don't have as much stress, then they might be able to hand, handle a little bit more exercise. So everybody's going to come differently to how they actually adapt from it. But what is really important, and this is with exercise, but also in life, that um, creativity, um, our truest self, our higher self, um, adaptation, like physical adaptation, um, productivity, all of these things come from rest. But like you said, Jillian, society has deemed rest a really, really bad thing, whether that be in exercise or in life. And when we talk also about the, the physiological response to a rest day, something that we forget a lot of the time is that, for example, say you feel soreness. In order for you to adapt, as Olivia says, your body needs to recover the, the, the reason why you feel that soreness. 
And I'm trying to speak kind of like very basically here. And so in order to do that, and, and I often hear people say like, well, you know, I feel better when I, when I exercise, when I'm sore. And that doesn't mean that you are actually recovering the damage that you created that causes you to feel that soreness. And so giving yourself the rest that you need in order to recover is facilitating the adaptation that you're looking for within that training. Totally. And so because we didn't really touch on it, what's actually happening when you exercise is that you are creating damage. And during the time when you're exercising, you are either doing like micro tears in the muscle or you are like stretching your like cardiovascular function beyond where it usually goes. And that's the discomfort that you feel during a workout. But that's not what's making you stronger. You aren't getting stronger when those micro tears happen. And so if you micro tear your muscles and then the next day you micro tear them again and the next day you micro tear them again, like you haven't had the chance to actually heal from that. And so you're going, if anything, more towards potential for damage and injury, but you also aren't getting the reason that you went to work out in the first place out of your workouts. And when you're resting, what's happening is that those micro tears are being repaired and you're, they're either getting stronger or they're getting larger, right? So either your muscles are getting bigger or they're getting stronger or a combination of the two. And so if you're not letting your body rest, you're basically missing out on those adaptations. You aren't getting the adaptations, which are likely the reason you went to the gym in the first place. And two things I just want to clarify on what I said is that you don't only need a rest day when you feel sore. I just want to make that very yeah. clear because I, I realized after I said that, I was like, oh, people are just going to be like, I'm not sore. I don't need a rest day. False. Absolutely not true. You can have micro tears in your muscle. You can. So Holly just said stretching your cardiovascular capacity. So think of it like stretching a rubber band. If you continue to stretch a rubber band over and over and over, that rubber band is going to break. But that rubber band maintains its elasticity if you let it rest in between the times that you stretch it. Yeah, you're so right, though, Jillian. Like if someone who's been training for a long time, who's more, you know, sort of highly trained, they might not feel as sore. And so they might be thinking, well, I don't need to rest as much because I don't feel as sore. But for those of you that are highly trained, you probably do need to rest more because you can actually bring more intensity to what you're actually doing. So for someone that is kind of new to exercise, you can actually probably get it, get away with like probably working out a few more times a week, you know, because you don't have the strength, um, the, you know, aerobic endurance, the ability to bring, you know, anaerobic, you know, intensity to what you're doing. So you don't need as much rest, maybe. So that's where also people that are new to exercise can do kind of like full body, like every day um, and kind of be okay and still make progress. So your training age really does come into um, how often you need to have a rest day. And if you have been training for longer and the more hard, the more intensely you train, the harder you train, the more that you need to rest. And an important question I have for you guys, because I think that this comes up all the time, especially coming from the CrossFit space, what counts as a rest day guys? And I'm saying this facetiously because, <laughs> because I think that this can be manipulated. And so what, yeah, what counts as a rest day? Oh, I have such a gripe with active rest days. Um, I, having been someone, by the way, who used to do that, where I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm training five to six days a week. 
And then like on Sundays is my active rest day where I just go for a long run or I'll like go for a hike or I'll go rock climbing or I'll go kayaking or whatever else. Okay. So where did that even come from? A A lot of it is from social media I think at least is like the influence of social media and seeing like CrossFit athletes on social media do active quote-unquote active rest days where they're still training right they're still doing like a wad but it's like burpees and wall balls and a run or whatever and you're like oh cool like athletes are active rest days so obviously that's what I should be doing in order to like get the adaptations that an athlete is getting the problem there is that most of us are not being paid to work out and we're not training for three to five hours a day. um, And our recovery between workouts isn't the same as these athletes. Right. Or or we shouldn't be traveling. uh, We shouldn't be training for three to five hours a day. And if they're training for three to five hours a day and yes, like then their whole uh, nutrition and lifestyle strategy in between that is going to be, how can I recover between these? For them, doing a like light workout on a rest day may genuinely be rest for their nervous system comparatively to what they usually do. It, it's very unlikely that that's the case for anyone who is not a full-time athlete and is not you know, extremely efficiently recovering in between workouts. So, I mean, really here is going back to what Olivia mentioned right at the start, which is our stress loads are not just from our workouts and so the like how much rest do you need is going to change even for you depending on where you're at in different stages of life whether work is stressful this week and you have a presentation you're planning for next week whether the kids are home this week because school's out um like things like that are going to affect how much rest you need and so yeah uh, I'll, I'll let olivia carry on on that but active rest days I hate them I don't think you should be doing them unless you're a full-time athlete and even then I'm kind of like "Mm." yeah I think what really matters here is intention so if one is doing like structured movement for and they call it active rest day like fine like whatever you want but if your intention is to burn calories is to move because you feel like you should and maybe going for a walk is not enough for you. If you feel like you need to do like a like a, a 5K run, then as your active rest day, then that's the problem. So it's how you're thinking about it and your intention with your exercise, with your movement and why you do what you do that actually needs the work. Um, so I think that that is kind of, where you need to ask yourself, like, what am I actually doing here? And what is the point? And if you are someone who is going into the gym, you do care about getting stronger. You do care about getting fitter. You do want to build some muscle. I mean, having biceps is fun, you know, then you will honor the process of rest and you don't need to add in extra stuff because you feel like you need to sweat. You feel like you need to work out um, and that resting isn't enough. So yeah, I think that 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 kind of goes into the next point that we've got here is the psychological reasons behind rest days or why you're not able to take one. This is such a hard one. 
And, and I will come back to the question that I had for you guys, which is, I think one that probably a lot of people have um, around, you know, how often do I need a rest day, but we'll touch on that afterwards. So let's table that one. Um, but I think that there, you know, like you said, Olivia, you brought this up and I think that this is one of the most important points is the intention behind it. Understanding one, why are you working out? Are you working out? You know, I think we can probably generally say everyone is exercising for some sort of progress, whether that is progress towards longevity, whether that is progress toward a body composition goal, whether that is progress towards uh, aerobic capacity, uh, progress towards a specific goal. And so if we are looking for progress within our exercise, the things that, you know, then we obviously do want to rest day, but what can be holding us back is, is understanding what is your motivation for exercise. So if your motivation for exercise is purely based on calorie burn or time spent in the gym uh, or how much sweat. You know, I the, the quote that I hear that makes me cringe, it makes my blood boil is sweat is fat crying. What kind of bullshit is that? And it also makes Jillian, no sense because you breathe, we breathe out. Yeah, yeah guys, it, genu- it, it, it genuinely it makes no sense. Makes no sense. It's infuriating. Yeah. And, and so... I think a lot of the time, understanding what your motivations for exercise are can both hold you back from rest days and also push you towards rest days once you understand the context of what rest days are. And hopefully that will change having heard this podcast. Uh, Also, biofeedback, I think, sometimes holds us back because we say, oh, I'm not sore or, oh, I don't feel tired. And I had this conversation with a client the other day and I said, we need to choose rest before rest chooses you. And this is something, you know, ironically, I had this conversation with a friend of mine who was a pro bodybuilder who refused to rest, genuinely refused to rest. And I will tell you guys what happened to her body. She has had now a wrist surgery, a shoulder surgery. She has a almost a completely torn tendon in her shoulder. Um, Her hip is also up for surgery. Um, She had shin splints that lasted for years to the point where the shin splints progressed to be minor fractures. Um, I'm trying to think what other, I mean, along with hormonal issues. And this is is a woman that, an absolutely incredible, beautiful, um, amazing woman that I love dearly, who refused to take a rest day and, and to this day struggles with it. Um, And this is, these are the things that can happen to you that that if you don't choose to take rest days and you know we talked about basically there being it sounds like uh we talked about there being two central factors that can cause people to not take rest day like why would you not want to take a rest day right which is like either just being misinformed and not understanding the 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 balance between damage and recovery and how rest will actually help you towards goals and then the other one being i'm i'm trying to control something whether that be my body or my emotions or whatever else and there's something that i'm trying to avoid by not taking that time to rest so there's sort of like just general misinformation or some kind of like big psychological barrier that we need to move past and if we take the example of um working out just to burn calories, which I think happens to a lot of us. And I mean, at least for me personally, I would say that uh, my struggle with rest days began as misinformation where I was like, oh, but I want to be good at all these things. So I'm just going to do all of these things all the time. Um, But definitely transitioned over into now I'm working out to burn calories so I can keep my body a certain size. So there's a fine line there and you might cross from one to the other. Um, But one thing about sort of just trying to work out more and more to burn more calories is that your body is smart and it doesn't actually work that way. 
like working out more and more and more doesn't actually mean you're going to burn more and more and more calories because what your body will start to do is just go, wow, like this is a lot of calories we're burning. Let me adapt. And your metabolism is smart and you will gradually start to burn less calories to do the same tasks that you were doing before. So, and, and that applies particularly to cardio stuff, like marathon runners don't burn the same amount of calories doing a marathon that you would burn doing a marathon because they are metabolically adapted to it. And so having exercise, having your primary reason for exercise being burning calories just doesn't make sense from a health perspective. Incredible. You'll still get all the health benefits, but if you are working out just to burn calories and you're trying to add more and more and more, you're not going to be burning the calories you think you are. You're not burning the calories that your watch or your uh, Fitbit or whatever else is telling you you are. Um, and it's just going to feed into this like giant psychological thing you have around rest days because you won't be seeing the results you expected from adding more and more exercise. Mm. And I think that this can get kind of confusing for some people who are actually not in that space of thinking that they need to burn calories. So I think there are many people that are just like, they just really like to work out and they might, you know, have more acceptance around their body or, you know, be more interested in performance and stuff like that. But we can still be motivated by those external things. And I really do think that if, you know, something that might be coming up for you is, well, I just feel better. Like, I just feel better if I'm working out like every day. It's like, okay, but there might, if, if you understand the process of fitness and building strength and what that actually means like Holly was saying like the actual science behind it then again you're going to respect that and so that might be you know digging a little bit deeper and being like what what am I trying to put in place here like what am I not what am I afraid of and that it might not actually be about your body. This is something that I see all the time because a lot of the women that I work with are in this place where they just are really interested in performance. So they kind of like want to do more. So it's just continuing to ask those deeper questions of yourself of like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And how does this fit into the bigger picture of what I'm actually trying to achieve? I think a lot of it comes from too this this idea that we hear a lot, which is exercise is my therapy. Yeah, and I heard someone well. someone yeah. say beautifully, and I think that this is actually where you were going, Olivia. Is I heard someone say recently that exercise is not therapy; it is therapeutic. Yes. And I, and there's a, there's a very important difference there because therapy is therapy. This is where you actually, you know, talk through things and have specific structures for working through and breaking past whatever things that are holding you back, processing emotions. Um, We haven't been taught to process our emotions in an effective way in many cases, which is why a lot of us need therapy. And I would argue that all of us need therapy at some point in our lives. Um, but exercise can be therapeutic because it may unlock certain emotions. It may give you a chance to be with your thoughts in a way that you don't have in other moments. It may also serve as an avoidance of your thoughts or an avoidance of your feelings. When you do go through this process and you, you might start to unpack some of this stuff and be like, okay, cool. Like, 
I'm kind of like afraid of taking a rest day because I'm afraid of what that might do to my body or I'm afraid I'm going to lose fitness or whatever might be coming up for you. And then you start to explore that. And then you start to be like something that I always encourage my clients to do is do not work out if you're having a bad body image day, because that is just feeding into that narrative of like, I need to do exercise in order to change my body. Um, but when you're starting to work through this and perhaps challenging those beliefs that you have and you do be like, okay, I'm going to take a rest day today. You see that you survive and you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Maybe this is something that can be true for me and it hasn't affected my performance. But then what I often see with women that are going through this process is they get to a point where they're like, uh, it's supposed to be a rest day, but I kind of want to do something. Like I kind of feel good. Like I kind of I don't know, want to like go for a hike or do something like this. And that's where it gets into this difficult place of like, am I, am I doing a bad thing here? Am I rebelling against this? Am I listening to my intuition? And you, you have to just come back to again, that intention. So self-trust is something that we cannot see. And so if you can like go inward and be like you know what I literally just feel like doing this thing because I want to I feel like doing it there's nothing that is contributing to me feeling bad about my body or feeling forced to do something or pushed to do something but you are truly making that choice for you then do that you know so I think that that is where things can get difficult with trying to understand um, if you're actually honoring this stuff, when you start to rebel against toxic fitness culture, or you're actually like listening to yourself. And that takes a lot of self-awareness and a lot of honesty. And in many cases, time. you will have to move through a structure. Yeah. in time, you will have to move through a structure first, which I think kind of loops us back to that question of how often do I need a rest day? Because often you need that structure. And, and that structure, for example, may come from a program that has specifically scheduled rest days, or that may come from working with a coach that, that gives you a guideline for specifically scheduled rest days, a general guideline that I offer to many of my clients. And I am using very sort of general terms here because um, this is a general guideline is I ask them to generally not go more than three days before taking a rest day. So it could potentially look like three days of training, one rest day, three days of training, one rest day. That's one option. Um, a typical, like I want to say typical in air quotes breakdown that we often see is three days on one day off, two days on one day off. That tends to work. You know, if you're someone that doesn't mind working out Saturdays, or another breakdown could be two days on, one day off, two days on, one or two days off. There are lots of different options. Um, that said, Holly, how often should we be taking rest days? Yeah, no, I, I very much agree with that, Jillian. I think the structure, though, is really personal. Um, I, I very rarely say that people should be doing a certain number of days on, a certain number of days off. For some clients, it just works better for them if they do four days in a row and then they have three days off because that's just how their structure works. And maybe Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, they're good at working out. And then during the middle of the week, they're very busy and they find it a struggle. So I really just go based on what's your life like? What's your training age? let's let's arrange it from there um but personally for me i used to do six days of training with one rest day and i would just vary the kinds of training i was doing on different days um 
it was it, that was definitely too much for my body but i think it's manageable if you have like properly undulating intensity over the course of a week it could be doable if you are eating a shit ton and recovering really well on the whole i usually recommend people to to be doing maximum five days a week of training i just think that for most people that's best but i'll, I'll tell you right now at the moment i do two to three days of training in a week and the other days are rest days and if you'd asked me if i thought that would work like you know a couple of years ago i would have been like no way like i couldn't do that i wouldn't be able to make any progress totally. I've made great progress i've made great progress working out two or three days a week it's been absolutely yeah. fine gives me so much time to do other stuff work my business go for walks like learn things uh it's kind of awesome having that extra time so if you feel very trapped in it at the moment where you're like oh my god taking more than one rest day in a week like ah it's possible it's possible and like man you'll probably love it way more than you expect yeah i'm with you on that i used to train literally seven days a week and sometimes double days and now i do three to four times but that's because i love like I love it but there's nothing external about that for me it's truly because it's something that I love to do but I am I auto regulate massively with it so what I was just going to say with the rest days just something how I approach it now is because I'm very much about how is fitness and training fitting into my life where it used to be about how does life fit into my training and so I will train. I have a set number, like a minimum for me is like three times a week because that's just what I like. But I will fit that around what my life load looks like. So if I have very, very like heavy coaching days, I probably won't train. And so that's the way that I kind of manage my schedule with it because I know that it's just too much. Like what we were talking about at the beginning is that you know, how much stress that you actually have in your life is going to determine your ability to bring like on micro, on the micro level to each session and your ability to recover. So that can be a way that you actually think about it as well. And really quickly, before we head on to our next question, um, ways that you know that you need a rest day, very, very simple ways to know that you're, you need a rest day. For example, if you have a uh, little, little, like, like Olivia says, niggles that won't heal, um, that is a sign that you are already too late for your rest days. If you're noticing actually that it is hard for you to get a good night's sleep, you may be overtrained. You may need a rest day. Um, if you just feel fatigued or tired, uh, you'll need a rest day. Um, if you are seeing like drastic changes in appetite, like you're either extremely hungry or not hungry at all, that may also be a sign that you need a rest day. Um, also, if you're, if you're just not motivated at all, and that is a strange thing for you, you know, you tend to be motivated to work out and you're just dragging yourself. Um, that's another sign you need a rest day. And, and a big one is plateauing. If you're, if you've been going, 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 and you're actually not seeing progress, even if you are, you know, say you're working out, you know, six days and taking one day of rest and you're thinking, well, I'm taking a day of rest, but I'm, I'm still not seeing progress. Maybe adding another rest day will actually benefit your progress instead of what we tend to think the opposite is, is, oh, I'm not doing enough. Um, like we said at the beginning, 
we want to prioritize the adaptation and the adaptation happens during rest. One of the benefits of taking rest days is you actually can give more intensity to your workouts. And so think about more is not better, better is better. And with that, we are going to head into a question that I think Holly is very excited to talk about because you actually did a post on this last week, didn't you? I did. And, I, and it was a question that we wrote down a while ago because someone had asked me about it. Um, and now I have this study to kind of back it up. I, I feel even better about it. And so the question was um, like, does it get harder for me to lose weight as I get older? And the reason that that um, I've, I've had more than one client ask me this, but this client in particular, where, where I suggested that we cover this, she was very panicked because she was, you know, moving into her mid thirties. And she was like, I just know that, you know, once you pass mid thirties, it's all weight gain. And it's so hard to lose weight. And like, I've seen it over and over again. And so there was a huge fear around how hard it was about to get to lose weight. Um, and so I'll start on this from the, from the study, from the study that I posted about the other day, um, which is looking at it from the metabolic point of view. And the reason I want to start there is because I think a lot of people go, oh, the reason that it's hard to lose weight or the reason that I gain weight, um, you know, after my 20s or after my mid-30s or whatever the number is that we have in our head um, is because my metabolism slows down. And as we get older, our metabolism slows down. And I posted a poll on this on my Instagram when I, when I did that post and asked um, before people read the post, uh, what their beliefs had been around that before. And the majority of people, so like 75% of people who answered that poll did believe that their metabolism slowed down as they got older. And that was why bodies changed, which was actually, honestly, was, was less than I expected. I expected it to be almost everyone. So anyway, the study that they did, which was a really cool study and they did it, it took them many years and uh, the cool thing, guys, is that now I'm doing my master's, I get access to all the journals. And so now I can log in and read the whole studies of everything, which is great. So I have the full study open here. And the study they did, they actually used uh, over 6,000 participants in the study. So 6,421. That's quite a big study. Um, How many of them were women? 64% of those were nice. women. So, so the averages are still averages, right? But it's 64% were women, which is pretty cool. And what they did was they got labs from all over the world. So if you could see the list of contributors on the study, it's like 40 different contributors. So labs all over the world. And they measured the daily caloric expenditure of people from eight days old up to 95 years old, which is pretty amazing. So grandma Bennett could have been in that study. So that was really cool. And what they did was they used, they used doubly labeled water, which is, a, is complicated, but basically means that they can measure the amount of calories you've burned and how you burned them, like what you burned, carbs versus fats versus proteins uh, from your urine. So they collected a lot of people's pee during the study. And what they found as the result of the study was that there is no change in your metabolism between the ages of 20 and 60, when you account for like overall body size and fat-free mass, it's the same. It doesn't, so it, it goes up very dramatically up to age 20, because obviously we're growing, we've got stuff to do, but then it's consistent. It's consistent till you're 60 and after you're 60, it starts to drop. Now the age of 60 is a bit different to the age of like 
30 to 35 when most people start to panic about metabolism yeah because we've been slowed down we've been told that you know from 30 to 40 it drops by x amount and then from 40 to 50 so yeah it's, it's basically been fear-mongered into us and totally. women have this like narrative that that and they just have this acceptance that it's just it's all over and so why yeah. what's the point you know this is just how and that's, it is that's part of the problem right like that yeah. acceptance yep. is part of the problem we go oh it's going to happen. Like there's, there's nothing I can do to fight it. So why even bother? Um, I'll drink another bottle of wine. Why? Exactly that. Exactly that. Right. Which is part of the problem. Um, But you know, the other side of it is just like physical activity. And they've done other studies on this where they tracked physical activity over time. Where does it drop? Oh, like the exact same time after college where we start going into work and our daily activity changes a lot, Uh, but I'll transfer it on to Jillian to talk a bit about that. And this is where on the other side, you know, we, we see two sides of this, right? We see the one side where people are like, well, it doesn't even matter. Why should I bother? Or we see, and, and we see this a lot with a lot of women that we work with in their thirties, forties, and fifties, where they're, they're like, my metabolism is going down. So I need to eat as little as possible. Yes. And so I, I think that we see all, all kinds of crazy things that people decide to, to do based on this, this belief. So it's so incredible that you shared that with us, Holly. And, and I think being able to have that information can, can be so empowering for so many women, but what actually happens, it's, it's really interesting. Like you said, Holly, our activity levels tend to go down. And so if you think about, if you take a second to think, you know, depending on how old you are are right now, we're all in our mid thirties. Um, and, and think about, you know, what was your activity level like 10 years ago? I know, for example, when I was in college, you know, I was walking constantly from class to class across a huge campus all day. I was doing a lot of active things with my friends, even though, yes, I was more, I was, I weighed a lot more than I did in college than I do now, but I was also binge drinking and eating like Starbucks coffee cake for breakfast every single day and refusing to eat vegetables. And so, but my activity level was a lot higher. Whereas now I'm fortunate because I have a dog and my dog gets me out to move. But if you think about what your activity levels like have changed over time. Also think about the things that you enjoy doing and how active those things are. And it can just be simple things, not just things like going out and walking or, you know, going out dancing with your friends, but also simple things like, do you fidget when you sit? Um, how, how long are you sitting down for during the day? Uh, what are your chores? Like maybe you notice that, uh, you know, economically you can afford to have someone to clean your house. Whereas when you're in your twenties, you had to do all your cleaning yourself. All of those things matter. We also look at, you know, what happens with our eating habits. We often in our thirties, forties, and fifties are economically more stable and can do more things like go out for fancy dinners, um, or, you know, have, uh, all in, you know, all inclusive resort vacations, um, spend more money on nice, like nice alcohol. So looking at the trends in your life can also contribute to what that looks like. I think also, and I'll end here is I think that women in their twenties or, or when they're younger are more likely to do more intense types of exercise than older women, especially women that perhaps have not started to exercise until later in life. Yeah. Just on that. And when women are going through transition periods, you know, through perimenopause and into menopause, 
the common narrative with that is to slow down, just go for walks, just do yoga, which is exactly the opposite of what women actually need to do. Because um, as sex hormones decline, then the ability to actually retain um, like muscle mass and actually and bone mineral density as well that declines. And so the way that we actually retain muscle mass is only through two things, eating adequate protein and, and more protein than women who are in their reproductive years and also doing weight bearing exercises. So doing weight training. And so something that you also touched on there, Jillian, is women, you know, struggling with their, the changes maybe in their body due to all of this stuff, which a really important thing to highlight here is that when women are going through these transition periods, there can be so much blame on hormones, 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 hormones. And coaches love to capitalize on that bullshit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When actually for all of us through all ages and phases, the big lifestyle rocks come first, your movement, your sleep, sunlight, getting enough food, you know, all of these kind of things, but it's, it's too hard, right? Because we want to blame something else, but going on what you said, Jillian, that women feel um, urgency and frustration because their body is changing and, it, and it's really difficult and it's hard. And like we talked about, even before we started recording this idea of like invisibility and stuff that comes up for women, then the problem comes with women who are in perimenopause and going into menopause who are dipping into low energy availability or subclinical low energy availability. And when we're in that state, that is not helpful at all, especially when it comes to you know body composition changes, which is something that so many women um, are trying to pursue. And so that can be a really hard thing to actually educate women that we need to eat we need to eat food and we need to have adequate protein as well, especially going through those changes. I just really want to, I want to point out two things that we're going to put in the show notes before I pass it over to Holly. And that is our 10 health habits episode, I think can be really helpful for people when they're looking at the big rocks. And then also Holly did a really great post on, I think you did a low energy availability post. Is that right, Holly? And so we'll, yeah. we'll put those yeah. two in the, in the show notes. And I'll, I'll put the study that I talked about for like yeah. three minutes in the show notes too, in case anyone wants that. Um, Cause even the abstract of that, if you read that is, is pretty cool. Um, and I think both Olivia and I have read the book by the lead on that study, which was also a really good book, which is burn. Um, and it's just like a deep dive on metabolism and how it works and how it evolved. And it's really cool if you want to learn more about metabolism and I mean, just before I move on, I'll just say that we're not discounting that hormones, especially through perimenopause and menopause, have no effect on body composition changes. They do. They absolutely do. And we're not arguing with that. Um, But there's a a huge amount of emphasis placed on those instead of the rocks Olivia just mentioned. And like, you know, even if we look at some of the graphics in the study I mentioned, you know, the, the the central reason for metabolism dropping as we get older is the loss of muscle is the loss of fat-free mass, right? And so by making sure we eat enough and train well, we can help to mitigate a lot of that happening. And so it's not that it'll stop your body changing at all, but it will really change the way your body changes. And I'm actually pretty excited for the next generation of women who are growing up with this different knowledge. And the fact that women these days work out quite differently, I think, to the way that a lot of women 
who are reaching perimenopause or already past perimenopause did when they were growing up. And so when people look at their mothers or their grandmothers and they go, well, I don't want to end up like that. You're probably living quite a different life to the way that they did. And it's very likely that the way you are exercising and eating, hopefully, especially if you're listening to this podcast, are very different. And therefore, like the way that your body changes over time, the way your, your metabolism changes over time may also be very different. And I'm, I'm excited to see if like with this knowledge and with these different ways of working out, whether our generation can kind of break that mold a bit. I want to recognize two things here. One is I, I overlooked something that also has probably changed a lot in your, in your lifestyle. If you are a woman in your thirties, forties, or fifties or above is that you probably didn't have kids in your early twenties. And so everybody's like, Oh, like, my, you know, my body was so awesome. You got a hell of a lot more sleep, I imagine, than you did when you started having kids. And that makes a big difference. And I know um, a lot of, of women, you know, I know a lot of us work with moms um, and, and seeing what happens after that transition into motherhood with sleep and rest. And you can also go back to, we did a two-part series on sleep and understanding how that plays into what your metabolism or what your body composition does is important. And the second thing I wanted to say is, is, you know, we are not telling you that you need to lose weight as you are older. We are not drawing a judgment on, on saying like, hey, your metabolism didn't change, so you have no excuse to gain weight. That's not what we're saying at all. We are all for body autonomy. If you want to lose weight, we support that in a healthy, balanced way. Um, if you want to stay the same, we also support that in a healthy, balanced way. So this is about body autonomy and giving you information to make educated decisions about what you do with your body, not telling you that you now, quote unquote, don't have an excuse. And I'm doing very giant air quotes here for your body to have changed. Just something else on these kind of like lifestyle things. And I think I just mentioned it before when we first started this conversation with Holly, when you were talking about um, metabolism and the study is that alcohol for women, um, you know, ages between the ages of like 40 to 60 is, can be a really big issue. Um, and there was actually a study done in Australia where 12% of women between the ages of 40 and 60 um, identified that they have like risky alcohol um, behavior. And it's not uncommon for women in this time of life who are, it's, it's a horrible kind of, name but called sandwich women where they're kind of in this place where they're caring for younger people so still maybe have children at home and stuff like that but then also caring for elderly or other people in their life as well and so a lot of the things that they need to do for their own self-care and stuff like that kind of gets put by the wayside um, and you know with alcohol coming into this obviously alcohol really impacts your liver and that really impacts like how things metabolize and your ability to go through perimenopause and menopause and those changes. Um, and often, you know, one drink or a couple of drinks in the evening is not actually a standard glass, <laughs> but we can have pretty big wine glasses, right? That actually contribute to more. And sometimes alcohol can be, you know, a gateway to food, 
different food choices. Um, it can contribute to anxiety. It can contribute to depression, um, maybe lack of movement as well because of lower energy, lower mood and stuff like that. Um, so that's just something to kind of be mindful of as well as just alcohol consumption. And perhaps if that is something that is coming up for you, it's like, how is that being used? Again, coming back to intentions and why that might be so active in your life. And along with the alcohol is also food. Food preferences may change as you get older. I know, especially, you know, I hear, for example, from my dad, who's now in his sixties um, and his partner who is in her fifties. Um, and also my grandma who's in her nineties that they're, you know, they tend to be less drawn to protein, protein rich foods, which is really interesting uh, because we know that we need more protein and it is a, it is a battle. I know Holly, you've done a lot of work with your parents on getting their protein intake up. Um, Olivia, I'm sure you've had this conversation with your parents as well um, is understanding that you may be drawn to certain foods or feel like eating certain foods as your body changes. And that is okay. But we also want to be aware of what is my, what does my intake look like? If I am, you know, if I am now reducing, for example, what used to be a 120 grams of protein a day, if I'm now reducing that to like 60 or 70 grams of protein a day, because I just don't feel like it, is that going to be supporting your body in the same way as as maybe you need it to be supporting your body, if that makes sense. I know um, what may what it may look like for you is maybe you don't feel like eating meat as much. So maybe you transition to more plant-based sources of protein. But I think that that's where education on what are protein-rich foods or how to combine foods in a way that is both satisfying for you and contributes to what your nutritional needs are can be really, really helpful. And I know all three of us work with people to, to figure out how that works for them in the context of their lives without forcing them to eat food that they don't want to eat, um, which I think can feel really restricting when you feel, when someone says, well, I have to do this diet to control my weight, but I don't actually like the way that I'm eating because my taste buds have changed. Any last words on this before we summarize? All right. So we talked a little bit about rest days and we went deep into not just kind of like the existential part of rest days, because we know we love existential type conversations. We talked a lot about the practical stuff and understanding, you know, physiologically, why do you need a rest day? What actually happens when you exercise and what are some things mentally that may be holding you back from a rest day, as well as what are some indications that you actually do need a rest day? So from there, we went into a, a, an interesting conversation around that is that was a an unfounded belief that has turned into a fear. I think amongst amongst aging individuals um, around metabolism and is it really harder to lose weight as you get older? And we talked about that it's you know that that scientifically we are now seeing information that says that that's not necessarily the case, but that doesn't mean that it is a real issue because of certain lifestyle and 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 preference and overall you know, change of change of life phase things that are happening. Um, so we talked about some ways to mitigate that as well. Uh, anything else, guys? I feel like that summary, was that summary okay? Perfect. It, yeah, I think we hit our main points there. Okay, all right. If you're listening right now and you're like, that wasn't okay, you can just go back and listen to the episode because it was a great <laughs> <Yeah>. episode. <laughs> well, team, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate getting to have these conversations with you guys. 
And I think we touched it's on some such really a pleasure. important stuff. It is. It is. And so I am going to not take a rest day today because I took rest days at the beginning of the week and I feel very motivated to train today. So I'm taking an I'm taking an active rest day, Holly. Sorry. Ooh, what are you gonna it, do for your active rest you don't day? Tra- you don't train seven days a week. So that's true. <laughs> I'm about to get on my bike for 30 minutes and watch something on Netflix. So that is my movement for today. That sounds great. But yeah. like, yeah, yeah. And, th- and things like that is like totally fine, right? I feel like the people who take active rest days are the ones where it's like, oh, here's my one day a week where I'm supposed to be resting, but no. I'm going to yeah. do a very long monostructural workout because it's going <laughs> to burn. Structural, yes, yes, because it's exactly. going to burn X amount of calories. Yeah, I totally used to do that where I would drag myself to the gym and then be like, I'm going to do intervals on the rower. And it's like, I don't want to be doing intervals on the rower, but I feel like if I don't, then I don't quote unquote deserve to be eating my calories for the day. So yeah, but if that's, that's you. That's thing is, but that's the thing as well is that, you know, even what we're talking about with a changing metabolism and, you know, as we get older and talking about movement drop-off is that something that most people actually forget about is steady state cardio because it's so demonized because it's not very sexy, but steady state cardio is essential for heart health and so many other functions in your body. And um, women are like, the, the um, percentages of women who actually aren't getting sufficient exercise each day is more alarming than the women who are doing too much exercise. So yeah, steady state totally. cardio is highly overlooked. Just, um, just to clarify on that, that does not mean that you need to go slog away on the treadmill for yeah, X amount of time. Elliptical, like no. just go for a walk and, love me and listen walks. to this podcast. Yeah. Duh. Um, yeah. <laughs> with that, guys, as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone in your life um, that you think could benefit from this conversation. We will be back again next week. Love you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Be Well Cartel podcast. Make sure to hit follow on the podcast app of your choice, share this episode, and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It is a small effort with a big reward and the best way for other like-minded individuals to find the Be Well Cartel. To learn more about the Be Well Cartel community, stay up to date with us on Instagram at Be Well Cartel and see you again next week. We love feedback, so if you have anything to share with us, please reach out via Instagram to let us know what we are doing well, what we can improve on, and how we can support you.